Remember the 7 o'clock p.m. clap when every part of Metro Vancouver would erupt with applause from people's balconies? We were clapping in appreciation of healthcare workers for putting themselves in the line of fire with COVID, for being understaffed and still giving it their all. Well, fast forward to today and many of them are burnt out and it's showing the latest data shows sick leave among BC healthcare workers has increased since the start of the pandemic. For more, I'm joined by Andrew Longhurst. He's a health policy researcher at SFU. Hi, Andrew. Good morning. All right. What does the latest data show us? Uh, Well, we had uh, CBC News release data from the BC Ministry of Health showing that um, in the uh, weeks of July and first two weeks of August, um, we had an average of um, nearly 10% of uh, healthcare workers off sick, um, at least for one day during each of those weeks. And that compares uh, to 6% um, of the for the pre-pandemic average. So quite a significant um, uptick in terms of those that are off sick. Um, and uh, this is data that um, I haven't seen before, and it's uh, really helpful that uh, that this was released by CBC. So sick leave is up for healthcare workers, but we do do we understand why they're taking the time off? Is it is it mental strain? Is it they're sick with COVID? How does that break down? Uh, no, we don't know uh, from from the from these data, um, but I think we can assume, um, in large part, that there's uh, we know that there's quite a bit of COVID circulating right now. We're coming, hopefully, out of the um, BA five uh, wave of Omicron, and um, it, I think it it suggests that we're we're continuing to see quite a significant disease burden in our community, and that's impacting healthcare workers. Um, they just like everyone else are um, maybe infected uh, in a variety of settings in the community uh, or at work, and I think that is particularly a concern, especially since we're in summer, which is not the height of uh, respiratory virus uh, season like fall and winter. Uh, So I think, and at this point, we're seeing uh, a number of emergency departments and and paramedic services and health services generally under really severe strain. And and this is only summer. So I think it's, it's a troubling sign. Yeah, I unfortunately found myself in an ER yesterday and I was talking to the healthcare workers there, nurses and doctors that were running around and so many told me that, because I asked them about this sick leave question and, and so many told me, you know what, to be honest, we, many of us have to work when we are sick. We have to grin and bear it and put on more masks and try to protect our the our patients as much as possible, but we have no choice because there just aren't enough workers on staff on the ward have you been hearing that certainly i I think just the state of where staffing is at in um in our health services um, i'm i'm not surprised to hear that it's really concerning from an infection control standpoint because we know that hospitals first and foremost should be safe places for patients to receive care Uh, we know that a lot of uh, older adults and immunocompromised people are are in hospitals accessing necessary care. So uh, it's on the one hand not surprising because of how short-staffed and and 
just the the burden that we're seeing. Um, but on the other hand, it's very concerning because that's likely to be in in many respects, probably amplifying many of the challenges that we're seeing uh, because we continue to see transmission of people are having to go into work sick. And what about burnout, Andrew? How impactful have the pandemic conditions been on healthcare workers? I mean, I think it's been tremendously challenging. You know, we are coming out of what the seventh wave of of COVID. Um, And what we're seeing now is that the, the frequency between waves is becoming shorter and shorter. And um, and then when we look at the hospitalizations, our hospitalizations currently officially reported are higher than at uh, most points during previous waves uh, pre-Omicron. So that's a significant burden on healthcare workers. And it's I think we have to look at this cumulative toll that it's taking. We haven't had a significant ease up. Um, and I think, in fact, what we've seen is with the removal of um, virtually all public health protections in the province, um, it's really becoming very challenging to to safely staff healthcare services. And so we are seeing burnout. We know it's happening um, and um, it's going to continue to make staffing hospitals even more challenging. Do I hint from you, are you hinting there then that you think we should have mask mandates back this fall? Absolutely. I mean, we are now at a place where we're seeing emergency departments shuttered um, uh, temporarily, but uh, routinely in terms of the the locations that are uh, having to do this. Um, And it's not just in in rural, you know, in in one rural community. It's 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 happening happening all over. And so, yes, I had Health Minister Adrian Dix on uh, this week as I was filling in for Mike Smith on his show. And he said, Adrian Dick said, we can expect COVID numbers to go up this fall. But he said that they, the government was going to focus on health guidance, not rules, not mandates around masks, at least for now, that that might change. But that was what the outlook was. What's your reaction to that? Well, I mean, I think many of us have plenty of anecdotes, but I mean, riding BC ferries, I see maybe one in 10 people or fewer wearing a mask. Um, I go to the grocery store, I see maybe one in 10 or fewer wearing a mask. Um, I, I think we, what we know from public health interventions is they're most effective um, when there's an understanding that it's a collective and shared responsibility among everyone. And so I think if we want to have, I think we need to have a very honest conversation about what um, access, timely access to emergency services, to hospital services, are we expecting to be able to provide patients come fall and winter? Um, and if the answer is that we hope to provide timely services um, in hospitals that are well-staffed, uh, we we have to be talking about uh, reintroducing indoor masking. So this is, again, a low-cost, low-burden measure that has a significant um, effect and it has strong evidence behind it. And I think what is worrisome is that we've virtually thrown out all of these evidence-based interventions that again are low cost, low burden, but have a significant effect in terms of protecting our healthcare system. So Andrew, you work you're you work in health policy. That's what you research. So what is your understanding then of why the government would avoid and ignore evidence-based interventions? 
you know, I can't speculate on on the thoughts going th or the thought processes in in uh, officials' minds, but I think there is a uh, a pervasive notion that we have to just learn to live with unmitigated transmission of COVID. And unfortunately, I think the reality in front of us is this is what it's going to look like, which is very severely strained health services um, because we're not, I think, smartly using the tools that we have. One of the big tools that's really been underused in BC, as well as many parts of the country, um, is a focus on cleaning indoor air. So right. either through ventilation uh, of outdoor, bringing in outdoor air or um, air filtration. So using, for example, we have some jurisdictions that are putting a HEPA unit in every school classroom. And we've actually seen studies showing that that significantly reduces COVID infections among the school age population. Right. And yet you mentioned there are only some jurisdictions. And so That's given right. that we what we understand about how COVID is transmitted, why, I know you can't answer on behalf of the government, but what would your guess be as to why we wouldn't prioritize HEPA filters in every single classroom in BC? I think uh, I think there's a few reasons. I think one of them is certainly the costs, um, and um, we know that that's always an issue uh, with with governments. Um, and I think the other one is, um, unfortunately, still we're seeing uh, not the acknowledgement and the public education that this is an airborne virus. And that to mitigate the transmission of it, we have to get serious about cleaning air. Um, so I think there still is um, a, a sense that that's not the primary mode of transmission, even though we know that yeah. it is. I guess that we've um, also heard Protect Our Province uh, tell accuse the provincial government of not fully admitting that it's an airborne illness. Is that right? That's that's correct to my understanding, and in, in terms of the the critique of of how we're seeing it uh, responded to, and I, in large part, I agree. I think I think it's unfortunate that now two and a half years in, uh, we still don't we're not educating. There's been some great campaigns, public awareness campaigns internationally, um, about educating the public about how COVID is transmitted. But I think one of the great ex examples of how we know that people don't understand this is the focus on hand sanitizing. Uh, right. So again, there's nothing wrong with cleaning your hands. And of course, that's a good, important part of um, trying to reduce the spread of other viruses. Um, but for COVID-19, it's really important to be focusing on the air, that it transmits through the air. Yeah. Um, so I think at this point in time, there's really no excuse to not be taking this head on. And I think if we look longer term, if we can make progress in this area, like focusing on ventilation and air filtration and setting standards in workplaces and shared uh, spaces, we can help address these issues in a really non-invasive and, and low burden way. And I think that then gets us to a place where many of our activities are not disrupted in the way that I fear we're going to see significant disruption come school when uh, kids are in classrooms with no masks, uh, no happy no units, filters, yeah. no filters. So I think long term, this is actually a strategy to reduce societal disruption. And that's one of 
that's one of the very things that officials have been talking about. But I think continuing to act like COVID is no longer an issue is really a recipe to have lots of disruption in our lives. Okay, Andrew, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your perspective. My pleasure. Thanks so much for your time.